Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me as always is your other co-host, John. John, how you doing on this Sunday? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's been a busy, busy week, busy weekend. I actually didn't watch... I watched a little bit of college football that I, uh, early in the afternoon uh, yesterday, but then um, I had work basically, or I had to work um, all evening, so I missed a, a ton of games, so I've been spending most of today trying to catch up, um, but uh, not too happy as a Gopher fan, um, have some issues there. It's been a rough season so far, but we will talk all about that. Yes, we'll get to all that for sure. Um, awesome. Well, I had a, a largely a good day watching football. The big loss notwithstanding, um, had a buddy in town, ended up tailgating a little bit, which, oh, I was at a tailgate. Oh my goodness. This weekend, John. Yeah. How'd it go? And it was, it was going well and they're very nice people. And I don't mean this. I don't have anything against the sport of baseball, but college football Saturdays are sacred. We only get a handful of them. And I was at this, ta- I was at this tailgate party. And they've got a TV up in the bed of the truck. And I'm like, awesome. This is great. And they're playing out the Texas A&M Alabama game on. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe not the game I would pick, but still awesome college football on. You know, that's great. And they're like, yeah, in 10 minutes, we're going to turn it to the twins. Aren't you excited about the twins? And like, dude, great. I'm glad the twins have been winning. Good for them. You know, as a Minnesotan, I have a, you know, obviously I have a lot of pe- people in my life love the twins. Sure. I've got, I've got nothing against the twins, but like on a college football Saturday, the last thing I want to hear when I'm at a tailgate before the game is let's turn it to baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all right, though. It was all right. And honestly, we weren't um, we weren't we were only tailgating for a few hours before the game. So I still got to watch a decent amount of football. Yeah, um, but so you know, I, I'm with you, man. I'm not, I, and I too, I am in support of the Twins. I've got nothing against the Twins. I'm excited that they they're doing as well as they are. I hope that they continue well into the playoffs. Yes, um, yes, good for them, absolutely. But at the same time, yeah, man. I mean, this is such a short season. So, you know, college football is incredibly short. So it's like I want to enjoy it. I want to be in that moment, and that's why I'm here to to be. Yes, it's the environment that you're there for. Like that's what you're there for, and. To me, yeah, it it does feel a little bit. And it's so finite. Yeah. And and the excitement and the campus and just all of it. It's just not like, it's just such a different vibe than pro sports that it's like jarring. It's jarring. It is. To go from you're in this college football mindset to like, here's a pro sport. Yeah, I'm with you, man. It's like, you know, I don't want to throw on an MLS game or, you know, when I'm sitting here, I want to watch college football, even like you said, if it's not uh, not necessarily a game I'm super interested in, it's still it's just part of that whole vibe. So I got you. I'm with you. Awesome. All right. Should we get into these Big Ten games? Let's do it. All right. The first one, we had the Nebraska Cornhuskers 20, the Illinois Illini 7. Um, I'll say just right off the bat, an Illini squad that entered the year with conference title aspirations is now in danger of missing a bowl game at two and four. So that's something we'll have to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, Illinois honored former Illini football star Dick Butkus, who died on Thursday at the age of 80 with a number of tributes, including a moment of silence and a video tribute at halftime. So that's nice. 
he was certainly a legendary player and, you know, obviously sad to hear anytime somebody dies. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. They were able to do that. Uh, total yards, Nebraska had 312 and Illinois had 310. So a relatively even game statistically. However, Illinois once again could not run the ball at an anemic 1.1 yards per rush. Now, Nebraska only managed 3.2 yards per rush, but it was enough for a 158 to 21 rushing yard advantage. And that's quite a disparity, 158 to 21. So Illinois had more passing yards, um, but Nebraska was slightly more efficient in the passing game at 6.4 yards per attempt, while Illinois had 6.1 yards per attempt. Um, each team threw an interception. Uh, Heinrich Harburg was a workmanlike 12 for 24 for 154 yards and uh, a pick in the winning effort. Uh, Luke Altmeyer had almost 300 yards and a TD for the Illini, but once again couldn't avoid an, inter- an interception. Um, seven receivers caught passes from Harburg. Nebraska stopped Illinois twice inside the Huskers one yard line on Illinois first drive of the game as Luke Altmeyer and Reggie love the third each failed to get in the end zone. And for Illinois coach Brett Bielema, the failed scoring drive was emblematic emblematic, excuse me, of the Illini offensive struggles this season. Quote, it's maddening infuriating that we can't gain six inches on two plays. He said, I've been coaching for 15 years and I've never been so frustrated. We keep having the same issues. We have to make changes. We have to change the equation. I personally, John, have never seen Bielema as frustrated as he currently is with Illinois inability to run the football. He is totally at its wits end and it seemingly has no idea what to do about it. Wow. But he's, he's promising to make changes. Um, John, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, I totally understand that frustration. I mean, I would be too if I were him. <clears throat> it's it, because it is. It's it's puzzling um, with what all of the the expectations of this team were coming into this year. I I had them definitely uh, as you know possibly winning the Big Ten West and and at the very definitely least, in the competition for it. Oh, absolutely! At the very least, getting to to seven eight wins. But now yeah. it's yeah, man. I mean, this is a tough road. And, and it is dude. And it's the line of scrimmage is just a freaking mess on the offensive side of the ball. The D line looks pretty good overall. I thought they played pretty yep. solid. Um, but the offensive line is just awful there with, there's no, it, I, I mean, Altmaier is still continuing to run for his life more often than not. Yeah. You know, he is lost all poise confidence. He just looks like he's a mess and yeah. And obviously like you just mentioned, there's just no ability to run at all. I mean, one yard per attempt. That's crazy. That is a crazy stat for a Brett Bielema coach team. Yeah. This isn't a this isn't a Mike Leach team. No, it's a Brett Bielema team. Well, and I know, like last year, you know, they had Chase Brown, which I understand. You know, he's he was Chase Brown. He's incredible, but like you just don't expect this big of a drop off, I guess, and and especially from Brett Bielema. I I'm very. I'm surprised. So I can, I'm, I'm sure that's his frustration is warranted, but yeah, didn't, uh, when he first showed up, didn't Bielema, maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, but didn't he also have, um, line of scrimmage issues? And he, he also made some like grandiose statement at a press conference at one point. And he was just like, basically saying like, we're going to get rid of guys if they don't step up or something like that. So. Yeah. He made a comment basically that his guys weren't good enough and he was going to find guys that were good enough. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. 
Yes, but it was something like that. I yeah, yeah it was I remember something that along too. those lines. Yeah. Well, and he so- did get better. He did get better at that point. He found yeah. a way. He shifted his roster and he did find a way to get more production. So it'll be interesting to see. But I don't know. We're pretty deep into the season to be finding guys in the roster, like new guys on the roster who can contribute for you. Yeah, I think at this um, point he's just got to going in depth. Up. <clears throat> yeah. Um, for Nebraska, Marcus Washington caught a 39 yard fade pass to get Nebraska out of the shadow of its own end zone and left the game with an injury after that. He did not return. So I hope he's okay. That was a really big play in this, in that game. I thought, mm-hmm. um, early in the game, I thought Illinois was doing some creative things to get Isaiah Williams touches in space. Um, the misdirection shovel pass in the first drive was particularly inspired. I thought. And, but Illinois didn't score on that first drive because Nebraska bows up and gets an impressive goal line stand. And I think that that became, that was a really defining moment in that game. Um, you know, the Huskers went for it on fourth. Here's the other thing that I thought was really important. The Huskers went for it on fourth down and five at the Illini 40. Harburg had a clutch throw for a first down. He turns it into a touchdown and you're 10-0. Uh, and, and it's and a 10-0 lead a few plays later. So Rule was aggressive and it pays off. Then on the ensuing kickoff, um, Nebraska recovers the kickoff. It was like a weird bounce on the kick. It was a weird kick. It bounced funny. Nebraska recovers it. And then on the next play, Heinrich Harburg has a 25-yard QB power run play for a touchdown. So that one decision to go for it on fourth down and five on the 40 early in the game took a three zero Nebraska game because they could have punted there and tried to play defense and whatever. And had been up three zero instead of being up three zero, they were suddenly up 17 zero because they scored two touchdowns in 10 seconds. That is what we mean when we say coaching wins and loses games. Yep. Nebraska took control of the game early, despite the fact that Illinois was moving the ball. Um, So John, I thought that was, I thought that was really big in this game, and and that was the I thought that was the moment when that game shifted, and it just became um, pretty clear that Nebraska was going to win. Yeah, well, and I I we talked about it in the preview pod, and I was saying, you know, I feel like Nebraska has that momentum moving forward. You know, their 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 season has had a lot of ups and downs, and um, obviously, you know, last week they played Michigan, and now we also know what that's like to play Michigan. Um, yeah. And but I still do. saw them progressing and and saw some some things that they could build on and it looks like they're doing just that. You know, Harburg is looking better and better. Um, you know, his connection to Fedoni and Washington look great and and you know, Grant is looking better. He's not fumbling the ball. He looks like he's protecting the ball and 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 he runs hard and he's he's reliable now. And that's good. That's good to see that. And but and on, you know, and defensively I feel like they're continuing to do well. They they shook off last week and they look like they're right back on track. And I'm just seeing yep. more I'm seeing this confidence <clears throat> in them where all I see with Illinois like I mentioned last week is just this regression and you can see that fear and that panic play out on the field in for Illinois. Yep, I totally agree with you. Um with the win Nebraska moves to 3 and 3. With the loss, Illinois moves to two and four. Uh, moving on to the next game, we had the Wisconsin Badgers 24, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 13. 
total yards. Uh, Wisconsin had 358, while Rutgers had 275. Neither passing offense was very efficient. Uh, for Rutgers, Gavin Wimsett was just 16 of 35 for 181 yards and 5.2 yards per attempt. He also had one TD and one pick. His QBR was just 27.2, which is a pretty low score for that metric. Although, John, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to get into some really low QBRs this episode. There's going to be so Gavin Wimsett, 27.2. That's pretty low, but we're going to get lower. Oh, All right, great. so get excited for that in future games. All right, Tanner Mordecai for Wisconsin was an average 17 for 31 for 145 yards on just 4.7 yards per attempt. So so not much, the pretty pedestrian there, but he had the one TD. Um, Braylon Allen led the way for the Badgers again, once again, with 101 yards and 4.8 yards per rush. I thought the backup, Jackson Aker, chipped in 65 yards and 5 yards per rush. He looked good, I thought, as the new backup QB. So the question we had going into this game, one of them was... Uh, yeah, sorry. As the backup RB. Yeah, my bad. Um, yeah. So one of our questions was, what does the depth for Wisconsin look like at running back? And I think we found out that they've got some decent depth. Mm -hmm. um, by contrast, for Rutgers, Kyle Manungai was totally shut down for just 16 yards on eight carries. Rutgers realized pretty early on that they weren't going to be able to run the ball. They kind of gave up on the running game because um, they had 38 passes to 22 rushes. Um Ricardo Hallman for Wisconsin scored on a 95 yard pick six just before halftime pick six, another theme of the day um, to take control of the game as Wisconsin defeated Rutgers. So Rutgers was down 10, nothing, but they had second and goal from the six in the final minute of the second quarter. Um, Gavin Wimsad attempted a pass to Christian Dremel who was running an out pattern. Hallman sensed what was happening. Um, he said later we knew that Rutgers quarterback was a little bit trigger happy in terms of just seeing his first read and kind of throwing it right there and stuff like that. Hallman said <laughs> just trying to uh, kind of trying to bait him a little bit, make that guy a little open, come off it. A bunch of film watching went into that. So Hallman jumped the route, caught the pass, raced down the field um, to give Wisconsin a 17-0 halftime advantage. So that was big because Rutgers could have made that a 10-7 game at the point at that time. And instead, with that pick six, it went to 17 nothing. That was a really important uh, part of that game. Uh, defensively for Wisconsin, Hunter Wohler had nine tackles, and CJ Getz had a sack for an opportunistic Badgers D. And man, John, Rutgers was totally ineffective on offense completely, which was just tiring out their defense and exposing them to a lot of snaps out there. And I think that was that was the biggest disappointment for me was just how anemic the Rutgers offense was. I thought they had improved more than this. Uh, yesterday felt like a real regression for them. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think um, when I, the time I did see that offense kind of click was when they brought in the backup um, after Wimsett went out for a little while with an injury, which, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure that was the right thing to do to bring Wimsett, not even just because Simon was doing well, but like I just for injury protocol. I don't know. It was a little suspect in my opinion, um, after the way he couldn't stand up and, and he looked like he got his bell rung pretty bad. Yeah. But, um, but Simon looked great. I know he's not the athlete that Wimsat is, but he was accurate and he looked calm in the pocket and he throws a, he throws a good ball. I mean, it was right on the money and he was the reason yeah. they were able to get the, get in the end zone. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, 
I was a little disappointed too with Rutgers. I mean, I thought the O-line did a good job protecting the pocket. Um, you know, Wimsat's awareness is getting better. He's just not accurate. He he had open receivers. He just cannot get the ball to them well enough. And so do you think there's a QB controversy in Piscataway? I mean, I think there should be. If if yeah. I mean I get it, Wimsat's he's a great athlete, but like to me, after what I saw from Simon, just out of like a, a, a few gotta drives, be at least a certain amount of accurate to play quarterback. Yeah. And Simon was clearly far more accurate. And I was talking to some people on um, through Twitter and a couple of Rutgers guys. And, and I was told, too, that they're like even the fans, some of the fans were calling for Simon before the game because of his ability to be more accurate than Wim's at. So interesting. You know, I don't know, man. I mean, that's the way I think about it. But on defensively, though, I thought, you know, Rutgers did pretty well. I think, you know, Flip Dixon was playing was all over the field making plays. Yeah, um, he great. looks fantastic. And I thought for the most part, defense did did well. Um, I do think, you know, Wisconsin, uh, obviously, you know, they have their running game now and they do have a solid backup. Um, I did think he looked you know, at, he looked fantastic. Um so now you got two big bruisers that are 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 hard to take down. So you know that's, yep. that's fun. <laughs> but um, oh, but yeah, you know, um, defensively they look good. You know, I think Waller did did exactly what we were expecting him to do. He looks solid. Um, you know, I still want to see this Wisconsin defense. They haven't faced, in my opinion, an actual like potent offense other than Washington State, and we saw what happened there. Yep. So I, I'm I'm interested to see how well they they measure up when they play Ohio State down the line here. Um and obviously next week is gonna be very interesting. That's gonna be, you know, we will and we'll get to that on a later episode. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still see Mordecai looks good sometimes. He runs the ball a lot though. Um, which is what I noticed. He didn't spend he doesn't spend a ton of time in the pocket before he takes off and runs. Um Mm-hmm. But that also, you know, is an attribute to how well uh, Rutgers secondary was doing covering the passing game. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin was not super efficient in the passing game. Um, and it was not, you know, it was they were not making a lot of hay. It was Rutgers was doing a pretty good job defending it. The issue was that Wisconsin could run the ball and Rutgers couldn't. Yeah, And the fact that Rutgers... Their offense, the fact that they couldn't run the ball today makes me worry about them for the rest of the season because I know the Badgers' secondary is worse than their uh, run defense, but it just seemed like if you're going to be competitive and if Rutgers is going to win games, they have to be able to run the ball. They're not going to yeah. get, they're not going to win games throwing the ball, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, whoever's at quarterback. I don't think their offense just isn't built that way. That's just not, that's not how Kirk Soraka, Kirk Soraka structures an offense. It's just yep. not. Yep. You know, everything is built off of the run game. So um, I'm a little worried about Rutgers coming forward out of this game and like what yeah. the rest of the season is going to look like for them with their offense struggling so much. And I do wonder if they maybe it is time for a QB change to yeah. shake things up and get a little different energy in there. I agree, man. I, I would if it were me, you know, but I'm not coaching the team. Uh, I thought Simon looked fantastic. Um, my other thing that I was thinking, just looking at the, uh, I know that they ended up being fantastic. Obviously, the run game came together for Wisconsin, but it took a solid two quarters, though. Like, and I don't know what's with again with with, with Braylon Allen. It takes him like a whole half to get going, and and I I'm not sure um, what that I mean, is. Rutgers but D I mean, is once, pretty good. 
once he does once he well yeah that's true but like and once he gets there then he's there and and, and he finishes out the game and he looks fantastic i'm just he just yeah. always kind of starts slow that's what i've noticed but anyway yeah he does know. he does seem like the warrant like the more carries he gets the more effective and the more explosive he gets yeah um he is he is an interesting player that way for sure yeah. but he's fantastic when he gets there that's for sure absolutely uh, with the loss, Rutgers moves to four and two. With the win, Wisconsin moves to four and one. All right, next game up, we had the five. We had the uh, number four Ohio State Buckeyes against uh, the Maryland Terrapins. Ohio State won thirty-seven to seventeen. Uh, total yards: Ohio State had three hundred and eighty-two. While Maryland had 302. Maryland threw the ball a lot, but Leah was just not very efficient in this game on just 21 for 41 on 4.8 yards per attempt. He also threw a touchdown and had two picks. Uh, by contrast, Kyle McCord of Ohio State threw for 320 yards on 19 for 29 and 11 yards per attempt, John. That's about as explosive as you can be while still being efficient. So we talked about how JJ McCarthy had, has been both explosive and efficient. And now Kyle McCord is being both explosive and efficient, which is, should be terrifying for the rest of the conference, the way he's developing. Um, neither team could run the ball though, as Maryland had just three yards per rush. while Ohio state had just 62 yards rushing on 1.89 yards per rush. Wow. That is abysmal. Wow. Um, Maryland dominated the first quarter on offense and defense. The Buckeyes were in disarray offensively. Uh, Ryan Day gave up seven points just because on an idiotic fake punt play early in the game from his own 30, which that was wild. Yeah. Ryan Day, I think it was the first or second possession of the game and Ryan Day, it's fourth and not that short fourth and long enough on your own 30 that you shouldn't be going for it. And he does a fake punt. Um, it doesn't work. And then, you know, Maryland scores a touchdown immediately after. So that was a really foolish mistake. Um, he kind of got bailed out, though, because the Terps were up 10 when Leah threw an inexcusable pick six. Uh, you know, that Buckeye line, we talked about them struggling to open holes against a mediocre run defense for Maryland. Like, I want to talk about at some point, why are the Buckeyes struggling so much on the offensive line in the run game? The passing game, they seem really good in pass pro. But in the running game, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, I thought the Buckeye offense really jump-started after that 58-yard reception on that blown coverage to Marvin Harrison. And, you know, the end of the half, Maryland left points on the board. Leah screwed Maryland out of points, really. He ran the clock out by throwing it short of the sticks in the middle of the field. So the receiver, the time ran out when they were going to kick a field goal. So Maryland should have been up at half, too. Yep. Um, I thought the Buckeyes really missed Travion Henderson yesterday. Um, I can't emphasize enough how great a second half Kyle McCord had. He is developing into an elite QB. And I think we're not talking about it enough because of how well Michigan is playing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, number four, Ohio state really looked to be in trouble at halftime. You know, in the first half, the Buckeyes possessions included a turnover on downs, three punts and a field goal. So, Though the game was tied because of Josh Proctor's pick six um, for the Buckeyes, Maryland and and Leah Tugavailoa had all the momentum. But the Buckeyes were just a different team in the second half. They scored 27 straight points. 
to dominate. Um, they didn't lead though until Jaden Fielding kicked a field goal to put them up 2017 late in the third quarter. So Maryland hung tough and they fought hard for a really long time. Ryan Day said it was like one of those things. Okay, what's going on here? of the sluggish first half start, but that's the game and you got to respond. So I thought we did respond in the second half. Good rhythm. Ryan day is not a poet, but he is a great football coach. (laughs) Um, Marvin Harrison had a huge game with 163 yards on eight catches. Cade Stover and Julian Fleming also made big plays in the passing game for the Buckeyes and on defense for Ohio state, Tommy Eichenberg at 13 tackles. Josh Proctor had one and a half tackles for loss to go along with that pick six. So a stellar game for those two players. And John Maryland, it feels like a little bit of they played tough, a little bit of a missed opportunity still with the mistakes they made. Um, they entered the game having won each of their last five games by at least 18 points, and they looked capable before, you know, Ohio State's depth, I thought, you know, kind of kicked in and, and the Buckeyes showed what, well, who the Buckeyes are. So, John, what do you think about this game? Yeah, honestly, I feel like this game was closer than what the score um score the score suggests uh until you know really the the second half and and but even into the third quarter um i feel like maryland was still hanging in there um and i don't think either one up until maybe halfway through the third quarter looked like one was better than the other because ohio state did look they were making weird mistakes too um you know they looked they definitely looked like they were just asleep um and not being able to run the ball is definitely something I think we need to talk about because I think it's it's a little bizarre as well because they do have Mayan Williams who is is a fine running back but and he had I think he and had Chip like, Trainum yeah and Chip Trainum and so like it's I'm not sure what's going on there that's bizarre that's not um, what I'm used to seeing with Ohio I'm concerned State. about the Buckeye O line when you when you project yeah. them when you look at them when they're going to have to play Penn State and Michigan like they yeah. can get away with it against a lot of teams but at some point if their O line is playing this way it's going to bite them. Oh yeah, it's going to be problematic. You can't not be able to have a balanced attack when you're playing Penn State or Michigan. <clears throat> um so yeah, I I'm not sure. I think, you know, obviously they just need to make sure Travian Henderson gets healthy. Uh, but you know, Maryland did, did pretty well. I thought, you know, Talia looked fantastic at times. Prather made some amazing, I made that one amazing, uh, one handed catch in the end zone. Oh, wow. That was wild. Yeah. So I think, you know, Maryland is still dangerous. Um, I thought really this would be the team that they might upset and it looked like it could have gone that way for a while. Interesting. Uh, but then Ohio state definitely pulled it together and you can see, and that that's coaching, you know, Ryan day definitely, you know, made sure that they came out in that second half more together and, and they had a plan and they, they executed it and very well and everything changed for them. And from then on, yeah, I I think I agree too that we are definitely not talking about Kyle McCord enough. Oh man, he is turning into, I mean, he's turning into one of the best quarterbacks in the country and everyone, he had a little bit of a slow start to the season, but since then he's just been leaps and bounds better every week. And yeah, I think he is he's making his case for being, you know, arguably the best. There's a lot of great quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year, but he is right there. You know, he should be in any discussion of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Yeah, I absolutely agree. believe that. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I just. I just, other than the offensive line, I thought Ohio State looked good. I'll tell you what, the rest of the Big Ten needs to pay attention, though, because Maryland is a good team. And they're going to cause a lot of people trouble the rest of this year. Absolutely. 
I mean, this is no, this team has a lot left, I think in the, in the tank and they're really going to, they're going to cause some issues. They're going to cause some problems. I even think against, against the juggernauts of, of Michigan, I think they'll, they'll be able to put up some points. I'm not a predicting a win, but I think they'll be able to score. Um, and I think Penn State, State, though, Penn State should be nervous. I was going to say that was my next point is Penn State should definitely be paying close attention. Yeah, they should. They're going to have to be. Maryland is not going to be a team that you just roll this year. You're going to have to bring your A game or they're going to get you. Yeah, the Terrapins. Absolutely. This is definitely Mike Loxley's best team. And I'm still still very excited about what the Terrapins can do this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they could they could easily get to nine wins. Yeah, it's still on the table. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, with the win, Ohio State moves to five and zero. With the loss, Maryland drops to five and one. All right. Let's move on to the Iowa Hawkeyes twenty, Purdue Boilermakers fourteen. So Iowa gets the win there. Uh, total yards: Iowa had two ninety one to produce three forty three. So Iowa once again is outgained in a win, which is a testament to their defense and special teams. I mean, what can you say at this point? Um, the difference in this game was the running game, though. The difference in this game was the running game. Iowa could run the ball while Purdue could not. Iowa had one hundred eighty one yards rushing on a healthy five point two yards per rush. Purdue managed just 96 yards on a paltry 2.4 yards per rush. So that was, I thought, the whole difference in this game. Uh, Purdue also had six costly penalties, while Iowa just had just two. Hudson Card for Purdue was 25 of 40 for 247 yards on 6.2 yards per attempt with one TD and two picks. Um, For Iowa, John, Deacon Hill really struggled. He was just six for 21 for 5.2 yards per attempt, one TD, and one pick. His QBR, John, was just 2.0. 2.0, which is one of the lowest QBRs I can remember reporting. Um, it is wild how bad the Iowa passing game continues to be. Uh, the one exception to that was tight end Eric All, who had five catches for 97 yards, had a great day. So he's doing an awesome job. But Iowa has to find a way to develop somebody in the passing game besides the tight end. Because now with Luke Lachey gone, they don't have a second tight end. You know, sometimes Kirk Ferentz has gotten away with being like, my passing game is going to be two tight ends. And then I have two weapons. But he does not have that, those two tight ends. He has one tight end left. And he's going to have to find. But we're saying it. It's getting late in the season to be finding wide receivers to step up. But he's Mm got to find somebody to do it. Because at some point, Iowa is going to get burned for having such a lack of a passing game. Um, Caleb Johnson, John, though, uh, was awesome in his return. He had, for Iowa, he had 134 yards on just 17 carries for 7.9 yards per rush. And he had that 67-yard early TD that set the tone for the whole game, I thought. Um, Deacon Hill really struggles with accuracy. Uh, Iowa's defense was winning the battle up front, I thought, and and were kind of controlling the game. Um, Iowa was able to execute their standard rollout uh, throws that were impossible than a mobile case. So the passing offense was really ineffective, but it looked more like Iowa, if that made any sense, because they could do the boots, they could do the rollout, you know, they could do, they could get him out of the pocket a little bit, yeah. which is something Iowa wants to do. It didn't work really, but they were at least able to do it. True. Um, <laughs> and John, here's a crazy stat in this. Uh, cause the Iowa D line controlled this game from start to finish, but 
Purdue had almost an 11-minute time of advantage in time of possession and lost. 11-minute time of possession advantage and lost. That is wild. Uh, but Iowa's defense, again, just dominated. They had th- they came in with just three sacks, but they sacked Hudson Card six times and forced two picks. Logan Lee had two of the sacks among his 10 tackles. Uh, Kirk Ferentz said that was a good effort by all the guys. Sometimes it's just better making quarterbacks uncomfortable, not just sacks, but sacks are always a good thing. Today was clearly the best job we've done. Um, yeah, so Iowa had 12 tackles for loss along with those six sacks. So, And Purdue's offense went just nine for 19 on third down. So Iowa's defense was good when it needed to be. John, what did you think about this game? <clears throat> well, yeah, it's it's amazing what Iowa is continuing to do. Um, it's it's just wild, isn't it? I don't think we talk about how 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 much of a, a statistical outlier it is, but it's incredible what they continue to pull off. And like, and it's just it's crazy to me. And I know this 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 sounds wild because of the statistics that we're presenting here, but like, this team could still potentially win ten freaking games. It's on like, the table. This with this offense could win ten games. So. Um, if they could yeah, beat Wisconsin next week. It's yeah, it, it, they could. It's nuts, man. I don't know. Um, but with you know going to Purdue, <clears throat> my thing was like Hudson Card. I think he's a. I do think he's a gamer. I think he's really good. Um, he, but the problem with him that I'm seeing is he just takes too many risks. He just doesn't protect the ball well enough. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of the risks pay off and they look amazing and he looks incredible. But then you know the next play, it's just a total disaster. So. But That's he's also running for his life. He is running for his life. That makes part it of harder to be take care of the ball. Absolutely, yeah. That's and that's true. That's fair. And but yeah, man. I I was uh, Iowa though. Um, if it wasn't for my question, I think I had right here at the beginning. Which again, let me just also acknowledge Caleb Johnson. Yes, he's back. This is your biggest and your most effective weapon now on that offense. Right there is Caleb Johnson. He looked incredible. Um, but what would this team do without there? There is no passing game. If Eric all goes down, I mean, period, like he, he was the passing game. And I mean, there's almost no passing game with him, but without him, there's none. There's drops everywhere. No one can hold onto the ball except him. He's the only one who seems to hold onto the ball. It's crazy to me. Um, And not that Deacon Hill was incredibly accurate either. He was all over the place and just making a no, lot but of you, When your quarterback is struggling, when he does put it, your ball in your hands, you have, you have to, to catch, catch it. it. Exactly. You have to do him a favor. Yep. And they're not doing it, you know. But the O-line looks good in the run game. Uh, they look like they're pretty, you know, pass pro looks pretty good. Um, you know, and again, thank God for Caleb Johnson coming back. That gave, it was the first time I've seen Iowa look like it has like some kind of, uh, you know, spark on offense at all this whole season. Yeah, it's true. And it came in the running game, which is where we expected it to come if it was going to come anywhere. Yeah. And Cooper DeGene, man, like just he's so freaking good. He's so dangerous. And you just, you know, and you saw that, you know, when when card threw that one, that one intercept, that pick six, you know, it was it was just a matter of time. And he was waiting on it all the whole game, you know, and you just saw that when that when that eventually happened. And yeah, man, <clears throat> it was it was kind of a wild game again, seeing this, you know, this offense play the way it plays, but yet continues to pull out these games. But like you said, you know, it's just a tribute to the, that defense and that special teams. Yeah. Cooper DeGene is a really special player. 
And if there's any, you know, if there's a combination best defensive player, special teams player award. Oh, yeah. He should he should be winning that award. 100%. Because without him, I don't even know. I don't know where I would be without him. Yeah. I mean. They wouldn't have beat Sparty last week. No. No, 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 no. I I don't know, man. I mean, they better keep him healthy at all costs. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. Yep. All right. With the win, Iowa moves to five and one. With the loss, Purdue moves to two and four. Iowa has that big showdown with Wisconsin next week. We won't Purdue. We won't uh, preview it right now, but. I am really excited for that game. And that game is going to have huge big. The winner of that game has the inside track to the Big Ten West title. Yep. For sure. All right. Let's move on to the quirkiest game of the day yesterday. I thought (laughs) we had the Northwestern Wildcats 23. The Howard Bison 20. This was an unexpected nail biter of a contest for the Wildcats. Um, total yards, Northwestern at 312 to Howard's 331. So Northwestern got outgained in a loss. Both teams threw the ball fairly well. Um, Quinn Williams for Howard was 18 of 30 for 169 yards. Uh, for for uh, Northwestern, excuse me, Brandon Sullivan was 13 of 18 for 131 yards. Um, Cam Porter had an all right game for Northwestern with 78 yards and 18 carries. Uh, for Howard, RB Eden James had a huge day with 21 carries for 177 yards and a score. There were no turnovers in this game. Uh, both teams had eight penalties. The time of possession was virtually even. I think the biggest surprise was that Howard was able to run roughshod over uh, Northwestern. The way they, re- they ran the ball was incredible. I didn't expect that. Um, Cam Johnson and Bryce Kurt. Kurtz for Northwestern each had a receiving Johnson a touchdown as the Wildcats were able to stave off a late comeback push by the Bison on homecoming week. Oh, it was homecoming too. Wow. That's a stressful homecoming, but at least a victorious one. Uh, Sullivan was filling in for starter Ben Bryant and he was the difference maker for Northwestern. He finished with two passing touchdowns and one score on the ground. Uh, Northwestern didn't waste much time getting on the board after moving the ball into the Bison's territory on the opening drive. Sullivan faked a handoff and ran down the sideline for a 35-yard touchdown to make it 7-0. An intentional grounding penalty on the Bison increased its lead to 9-0, so there was a safety in there. Um, Howard's offense struggled in the first half before it scored 20 second-half points. Ja'Shawn Scroggins and Jarrett Hunter each had one yard touchdowns while Eden James added a 64 yard score on the ground. Talk about some, an all name team candidate team, Jashawn <laughs> Scroggins and Eden James. Love that. Great names. Uh, however, two failed fourth down conversion attempts deep in uh, Northwestern's territory did in the bison. Uh, Bryant did not play against Howard after he sustained an upper body injury during the team's loss to Penn state last weekend. Braun previously said he anticipated the graduate transfer would be under center on Saturday, but did not commit to Bryant being on the field versus the Bison, and he that did not happen. He was not able to play. Um, the takeaway, I guess, was that Northwestern showed he can run the Wildcats' offense while they wait for Bryant to return from injury. But wow, I think Northwestern thought this was going to be a lot easier game than it was, John, and ended up being a nail-biter all the way to the end. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... They were trying to pull a Minnesota um, and let Buffalo back into the game. Um, 
that's what it looked like to me because that first half looked like Northwestern was just like was was going to run the table. Um, oh yeah, they were in control. Oh yeah, totally. And Sullivan looked good. Um, he had like that dual threat, you know, ability. He was running the ball well. He was passing the ball well. Um, you know, the O line. The only thing I saw that the O line had some trouble with Howard's defense from time to time, and they were had issues keeping the pocket clean. But that you know, Sullivan was able to to escape and make things happen. Um, but yeah, and the running game looked looked okay for for uh, Northwestern overall. I thought they did a pretty good job. Um, I and just okay though. I, I was hoping they could really run on Howard, and it was just it was it was they ran fine, but it was not what I expected. I thought Cam Porter would have a much bigger day. I expected him to have a hundred plus yards, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I thought so too. Like, and I knew Howard had some had some threats. You know, their quarterback and their running back was good, but I just figured that this defense would just do a better job um, continuing to contain them. Um, I didn't expect to see them come out like they did in the second half, but I think Northwestern. Uh, you know, like I said, they just uh, they they allowed them to come back into this game and and give them a scare at the end. But overall, um, you know, I, Northwestern was able to get it done. Um, I will be interested to see uh, if or when Bryant comes back, um, what they're going to do with the quarterback situation because Sullivan's a different player. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I think overall Northwestern did a good job. They just need to they need to finish, and they just almost didn't in this game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's one of those where you're happy to escape with a win and celebrate homecoming, but Northwestern's going to have to play a lot more consistently if they're going to get any more wins this year. There's no more Howard Bison on the schedule. Nope. It's back into Big Ten play. And at three and three, if they're going to you know, be competitive for a bowl game, which would be amazing. No one expected that coming into the year, that they'd even have thoughts of that. But yep. they're going to have to find a way to continue building that run game, I think, yeah. if they're going to have a chance. Um, and that defense has to be a little more consistent if they're going to have a chance to win many more games. Yeah. All right. With the win, the Northwestern Wildcats move to three and three. Moving on to our last game. It was the primetime NBC game. Um, I was at this game, John. We had the number two Michigan Wolverines 52 the Minnesota Golden Gophers, 10. Um, total yards, Michigan had 432 to Minnesota's 169. So that is about as much as you can dominate a game um, from a yards perspective anyway. Uh, Michigan dominated in passing yards, just like they did in total yards, with 241 to just 52 passing yards for Minnesota, John. 52 passing yards. So JJ McCarthy was 14 of 20 for 219 yards on 11 yards per attempt and had a QBR of 92. He threw a touchdown pass. He also ran for two TDs and he made the defense look silly on those TD runs too. He looked like he should have been caught and then he just kind of scooted to the outside and he's one of those guys who he's so long and he's a little more athletic than you think he is. Mm -hmm. And he can put out that stiff arm and keep you away from his body because he's so long. And yeah, man, he he reminds me so much of Drake May. I really think Drake May and JJ McCarthy are are like almost the same player. Yeah. And they're and that's a compliment. I mean that they're both terrifying. Yep. 
By contrast, Ethan Kaliak Manis of Minnesota was just 5 for 15 for 52 yards on 3.5 yards per attempt, one TD, and two pick sixes, including a pick six on the second snap of the game for the Gophers in front of a sellout crowd that was ready to cheer a lot and cheer hard. And they had, and they did cheer hard, but wow, the Gophers didn't make it easy to do so. Certainly not. Um, you know how I said Deacon Hill had a QBR of just 2.0? Well, Ethan Caligmanis had a QBR of 5.3. So those two players achieved something amazing this week, a QBR well under 10.0. So congrats to both guys. It was uh, it was quite an accomplishment for both of them um, as Big Ten quarterbacks. Blake Corum chipped in 69 yards on nine carries, including a TD run of 40 yards for the Wolverines. Uh, Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson had big games with six catches for 142 yards between them. Colston Loveland had a TD catch, uh, which was a nice play. For the Michigan defense, Mason Graham had six tackles, including a sack and two tackles for loss, while Ernest Hausman had five tackles and a half tackle for loss. Um, I thought Michigan's D-line and linebackers dominated the line of scrimmage in this game, John, just just about entirely. Uh, Will Johnson returned an interception 36 yards for a score. Uh, that was Minnesota's second snap. And... Uh, Keon Sab had a 28-yard touchdown return of an interception in the third quarter, giving the Wolverines a pair of pick sixes in the game. So not just one, but Michigan had two pick sixes in this game. Uh, this was Michigan's largest margin of victory in a Big Ten game since beating Rutgers 52-0 in 2019. And this was Minnesota's last loss this big was a 52-10 loss to Ohio State in 2010. So it has been 13 years since the Gophers were embarrassed to this extent. After the game, Minnesota coach P.J. Fleck said they're one of the deepest teams, one of the best teams, one of the biggest teams, fastest teams, strongest teams, and they do not make mistakes. They're truly like a boa constrictor, and they do not beat themselves, unquote. Minnesota, uh, John, they made an inexcusable pick six on a scripted drive. That should basically never happen. You have a week to study the defense and prepare that first drive. To throw a pick six on that second snap is an egregious error. I'm my thoughts are scattered. Uh, I'm going to let you go and just and just go with this. What did you think about this game, John? What did it look like on TV? Well, it didn't look any better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I wish that were true. Um, It it looked horrible. Uh, I I I am now like as a fan. just becoming very more and more concerned as far as the direction of this program. I'm not hitting the panic button that we need to eject, you know, and fire everybody, but some significant changes do need to be made. Um, my opinion, you know, like there needs to be a significant hire at the offensive coordinator position, you know, maybe QB coach, um, you know, this goes without saying, but fire Rob Wanger. Like, like what? I mean, that should have been done seven years ago, but whatever. Um, that's still so hold on, hold on. As long as you brought that up, I don't mean to cut you off. But so they finally put Sean Tyler back there on kick return. Mm-hmm. And then the two times he could have returned it, they had him fair catch it. Yep. And he had space. There was space to make a return. And I'm thinking, here's this guy. You're struggling in this game. 
You have this guy who has three kick return touchdowns in his career. Why aren't you letting him return the ball and see if you can make a big play? You need a big play. You're struggling on offense. Try to make a play on special teams, but they just won't even try to make his play on special teams. Although I will say that early that, that uh field goal from Dragan Kesich was about 55 yards. That was an amazing kick. Yeah. And, and you know, special teams is awful other than Dragan Kesich. Yes. Dragan yeah. Kesich continues to be fantastic. He is. Uh, but yeah, man, um, I don't know what's happening. Uh, Ethan looks just, he looked awful. He looked just, I don't know. Uh, there was no he confidence lost out there. He looked lost. Just no accuracy. I mean, the whole team is playing dejected. Like it just looks like there's, and again, we talked about this a little bit, I think last week and we, and, and we've talked a little bit about throughout the season is this lack of leadership. I think that was lost. What I don't think is necessarily that the, the talent that was lost last year, although there was some big, there's some big shoes to fill. I think what was lost in in the biggest way was the the leadership, the the fight, the fight, the the desire that you just don't see. Like they don't really want to fight back, and that's what I'm I'm upset. And that comes to catching, or that comes back to coaching. Like there's not this hunger, there's no dog in in some of these players, and that's what's upsetting to me. Is worse. Minnesota seems to be so willing to, and that's how, even the coaches. I'm just, and the coaches are included in this. Included in this, like, oh, absolutely. Like in you're fact, so coaches, we're primarily to talking about the coaches here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is like you're so willing to just roll over and freaking die, and and I don't know what's going on. And in the and second I, half, they did. In they the did. second half, they just stopped fighting and were like, "Let's try to get out here without any injuries." And of course, that didn't even happen because Jack Henderson got hurt and didn't return. Well, and like, what's so, so confusing okay. is like you went for you went for it with that 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 great play call and that amazing catch by Daniel Jackson for the touchdown at the end of the first half. So I was like, "Okay, cool, all right." That show that's what I want to see. I want to see you need to take risks against a team like this. You can't just yeah. like roll over. You have to keep throwing it, throwing the kitchen sink at them, and they did. And you but, have players like Daniel Jackson yes. and Corey Crooms who can make plays downfield. You have to give them the chance. Give your playmakers chance to make more plays. Yep. Yep. And it just it, it just came out in the second half like, no, all right, we're done now. Like that was as much effort as we're willing to put in. Now we're trying to just get out of get off the field as quick as possible and end this game as fast as possible. But yeah, and then, you know, I mean, it was, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't really know what else to say. I will say this. I, I want to give credit to the running backs. I do think Evans did a good job for what they had, what they were going up against. I think Evans continues to look good. Um, and even Bryce Williams, like, showed showed some flashes there. And he looked better than what I was expecting. Uh, but that was about it offensively. Everything else was pretty atrocious. Um, defense looked like they were hanging in pretty well in the first half. Um there was obviously some tackling issues, but they still the tackling like- was incredible. Was horrible. Yeah, I mean the tackling was terrible throughout the game, but as they got in the second half, it be- it went from bad to inexcusable. Yeah, at times in the second half. I mean, I, I- tackling is a me- indicator of effort. It just yeah. is. Yeah, and when you're tackling that poorly, it's not just because you're outmanned. It's because you're not you're not competing hard enough. Um, because you're in position to make plays and you're not making them. And sometimes that's just because the offense is better than you and you tip your hat. And look, people, Michigan is fantastic. I mean, I said it before. I'll say it again. Michigan is not just the best team in the Big Ten. 
They're the best team in the nation. I agree. Period. And and should be ranked that way. They should be ranked number one in the country. And if it, if Georgia wasn't the two-time defending national champion, they probably would be. Yeah. So Michigan is fantastic. They had a lot of guys have big games and make big plays. But um, that effort in the second half, I mean, that's that's a team that quit. And that makes me really, you know, you saw Nebraska last week quit against Michigan. And I really wondered how they play this week. And they came back and they really played tough. And you have mm-hmm. to give them credit for it. Um, But for Minnesota, you know, now they've got two weeks to stew on this loss. And the question is, what Minnesota team are we going to see in the second half of the season? Because here yeah. we are at the halfway point. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in PJ right now. I, I I've seen enough this season that has just I, it it does doesn't make me feel good about moving forward. I don't think that like the fact that it's it's not on the players i think the talent is there i think there there could still be you know four or five more wins on the schedule absolutely uh, absolutely there are five winnable games left on the schedule and so i do think that's possible but like what are we doing you know, I, with these coaching with this coaching staff and that's what i'm wondering and i don't know what, what if pj is because he always talks about changing his best well pj is not willing to change anything as far as I've seen this this season, he's just not, and and so everyone else is held to that standard, but he's not holding himself to that as as of what I'm seeing right now, and that bothers me. And that also goes to his coaches, just like I said with Rob Wanger, nothing really seems to change. Oh, cool, thanks for putting in Sean Tyler finally, but then you don't let him do anything. You don't, don't let, let him, him do return what he the does. ball. So what are you doing? Are you just appeasing us, being like, "Well, see, so yeah, I put him back there," like you, but you don't let him do anything. Like, let him return, let him do his thing. Like, and that's what that's what we want to see. You have to try to make plays, and yes, there's risk, but it's like you already had the pick six to start the game. You're already in a hole. When you're in yeah. a hole, you need to be more aggressive, not less aggressive. Well, and look and how long like, I saw a tweet that was somebody said that PJ Fleck was down five touchdowns trying to establish the run. Yeah, and. It just really and like, yes, at a certain point, you start running the ball because there's no like there's Matt, you know, there's time wise. There's just no chance of catching up. Yeah. But that also speaks to a mentality. The reason why that tweet lands and why Mm -hmm. it's funny to people is because of that attitude and that lack. And okay, the running game. I didn't understand that either, because early in the game, Minnesota was getting big chunks in the running game and they were running the ball really well. Yeah. And then. At a certain point, Michigan just shut the door and Minnesota stopped being able to run the ball. So what happened? What happens when all of a sudden the other team just takes over? Like you that's frustrating. Yeah. And it's okay. Here's what I'm gonna say about this. There are a lot of people who are saying, Oh, of course, you know, gopher fans should just accept this. It's Michigan. This shouldn't bother you. Blah, blah, blah. This is a trophy game. The yeah. little brown jug is the oldest traveling trophy in college football. And no, I'm not going to say that this is like a vibrant rivalry the way that, you know, Ohio State, Michigan or Minnesota, Wisconsin is right. I'm not saying it's that kind of rivalry because it's been too one sided because Michigan's won too often. But Minnesota has won the jug time, you know, at least generally at least once a decade. Minnesota's won the jug. Um. And it's a big game and you should be expect 
that Minnesota can compete against a historic rival. You should expect that your team is going to show up and give real effort and play hard the whole game. Yep. And no, you didn't expect it to win. I think I had Michigan winning 35 to 10. And I know, John, you had a similar score. So it's not like either one of us was expecting the Gophers to come out and win the game. But to just lay over, like you said in your words, lay over and die and just give up the way they did in the second half was really disconcerting from a team whose effort, frankly, has been uneven. You know, in Minnesota's other signature loss, that fourth quarter collapse against Northwestern, they were up 21 points with 13 minutes left. And then then they just stopped executing and the effort became totally uneven. And that's, that's, I saw that lack of effort, that lack of focus, that lack of execution was on there last night. And that's not all, you can't put that all up to Michigan is better. Yes, of course, Michigan's better than Minnesota. Michigan's better than everybody in the country, but it's how do you compete? And Minnesota just did not compete last night in the second half of that game. No, and that's that's where my my concern really lies. Like it's not I'm not even like mad at the loss. I mean, I am, but I'm not mad at at the fact that it's a loss on the schedule. I'm mad at how it happened and and the lack of competitiveness. I'm in total agreement with you. That's what bothers me and that's what I'm concerned about when it comes to this coaching staff and the future of this program, to be honest. Yeah. Because this is not going to get easier. No, it's only going to get harder. And there are already other teams in this conference within this division that are making changes because they see the writing on the wall. And if PJ is not willing to do so, I don't know what to tell you. Go for fans. Um, I don't know. And and that goes for Iowa. I was going to probably deal with this, too. I think there's there's other programs that are just too set in their ways and aren't willing to evolve. But we've seen other coaches that have been around a long time that are willing to evolve and they change because they do what you're, what you are, what PJ always, you know, preaches. They change their best and look at what happens. They find success. But I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I look at Alabama. Nick Saban used. To... Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, look at Alabama. Nick Saban used to play trestle ball. And he used to just run the ball and play defense and smash your face in. And then the game changed. And he was like, oh, you have to go a little more up-tempo on offense. Oh, you have to have a sophisticated passing game to compete now. Oh, you have to bring in high-end skill players so you can execute a sophisticated passing game. And he did it. And he's continued to win because of it. And I know this year Alabama's kind of gone back to that running defense mentality, but the point is Nick Saban made the changes. He changed with the times when he had to PJ is not being aggressive enough. He doesn't go for it on fourth down enough. He doesn't do, he does. He's not aggressive enough for a modern football game, the way he coaches at times. And I think that's, that's where we're stressed out. So I still think PJ is a good coach. I still think he's done a lot of awesome stuff for Minnesota. I'm not ready to throw him out with the, you know, I'm not ready to throw him out the door. Um, but he's got to figure some stuff out. I'm with you. As we head into the second half of the season. And I think, I really think if you look at his tenure, I think the next six games are really important to regain some momentum, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, he's got a bye week now to get ready for the second half of the season. Um, by contrast, John, I just think Michigan is at this point cruising towards yeah. towards a national title. 
Um, the Buckeyes have that offensive line that I have question marks about. You know, Penn State can be is really great, but they can be uneven at times. It just seems like Michigan is starting to look head and shoulders better than everyone else. And, you know, I don't I don't know. You know, we'll see what happens. It's I know it's several weeks before they play Penn State or Ohio State, and a lot can change between now and then. Sure. But right now, Michigan looks like just an unstoppable juggernaut, and you have to give it up for the Wolverines. Absolutely. They they deserve all the praise they're getting. Yeah. But well, we shall see how everything else continues down the line here. And that goes for everybody. The Big West, the Big Ten West is still, um, as of right now, I'd still consider it kind of open. Um, we're going to find oh, out. it's wide open. We're going to find out more next week, obviously. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to say those teams are overtly impressive either. Uh, so. No. <laughs> no, so I, we'll mean, I think. I think there are still. I think it's it's still a wide open decision uh, division because no one has shown that they are the team that's gonna be the strong team week in and week out. You yeah. know, Iowa and Wisconsin are in the best position. They had the most favorable schedules, but um, they are vulnerable too. Yep. And Iowa's offense and their passing game specifically is an enormous problem to overcome. And Wisconsin is an uneven team as well at times. And yeah. defensively, you know, has their issues in the secondary. Um, just to go back one last time, I know listeners may be tired of hearing us talk about it, but it's look at John. I really look at Minnesota and Illinois, and they have been the two most disappointing teams in the Big Ten thus far. Yeah. They're both supposed they're both supposed to be in the heart of the West Division race. Minnesota still could be potentially if they get hot, um, but it hasn't gone well so far. And I just, I just really think that those two programs, Minnesota, and Illinois, moving into the second half, it's kind of a come to Jesus moment, rally, rally the troops moment for both of those programs. And I'm really interested to see what happens to them over these next six games. Yeah, I'm with you, man. It'll be second half of the season is going to be very intriguing, but I think some big changes need to be made in both of those programs and sooner than later. Otherwise, it's this could get ugly very fast. Brett Bielema hinted at making changes. He said he's going to evaluate everything and make changes. And PJ Fleck did not make a similar statement. But it's you know I hope that behind the scenes he's thinking it. I hope so. I really hope yeah. so because I do know Brett Bielema will make changes. He is not afraid to do so. He doesn't no. care if they're your if he's you know if they're his friend or anything like that. He will step on toes. He will get things done. I'm not so sure about PJ. I, I respect him and I love the fact that he's a loyal person and, and he, he wants the best and, and to do the good thing and do the, what he feels is right for friends and coaches and players and all that. But I do think sometimes that it, it works to a disadvantage for the, for the program and the team overall. It's also been really good for program building though, that consistency. And, yeah. and well, PJ hasn't always been the best game day coach on Saturdays, he's been a good program builder in general. So yes, if you're a good program builder, this is when you rally the troops. This is when you get everybody together and you have the best two weeks of practice you've had all season and mm-hmm. you come back breathing fire in the second half of the year. Yeah. And if they do that in a few weeks, we might be talking about Minnesota in a totally different way than we are right now. I hope so. And Illinois, Illinois too. <laughs> yep, absolutely. 
Well, on that note, let me just plug this in here before we head out. But uh, if you want to find us, please, um, you can like, rate, review. Five stars is what we ask for. You can say whatever else you want in the, the review. We, don't, we would love to hear it. Any criticism, um, anything you want to say, we're, we're happy to take a look at that. But you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Podcast Addict. And on Twitter, you can find us at We Live for B1G Sat. That's at We Live for B1G Sat. And you can also email us if you have questions, any kind of inquiry, constructive criticism, whatever. Uh, you can email us at We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening to us and getting past that hour mark. I wasn't sure if we were going to make it with only six games, but we ended up with a lot to talk about as always. And it's going to be a very exciting slate of games next week. I'm already getting pumped for it, John. So we will be back in a few days to preview uh, next week's games. All right. You have a good night, man. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye.